0: Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk.
1: So, um, how do we get the job? So, remember that slide? Um, let's try to focus on the, on the hardware piece. Right, so, long product, product life, life cycle, no option for A-B testing, heavy vendor management, financial responsibilities, all that leads me to believe that if you have no coding background, no A-B testing experience, but you somehow manage third parties and external vendors and have some experience with inventory forecasting or financials, then hardware might be an easier match for you, at least you know, to get the interview. Um, and if that actually excited you, then it might as well be your product of choice. On the other hand, if you just can't stop thinking about how to optimize that app that you use every time, right? you open your Facebook Messenger and you think, oh, how did they put this video ad there? Right? Or, or if you mostly work with engineering or QA, uh, or if you ever ran an experiment or played with Google Analytics, software might be a better, slightly better match for you. Not to say that you can't work on hardware and vice versa, right? But again, in terms of getting an interview, that might be an easier path.
0: In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events.
1: Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Ross Yasikov. I'm a product senior product manager at Pandora. I uh, worked before, uh, among others, at Cisco for three years, managing some of their hardware products. And um, you know, I had a lot of questions when I wanted to move from hardware to software around the differences between the industries. And so I thought that you know, this talk might be interesting for you guys, too. Um, all right, so the first thing that immediately stands out is the difference, the striking difference right, between the hardware PM and the, the hardware PM is all about the circuit boards, and the software is all about those fluff and, and flowers. Really, uh, I have like thirty slides here, and it all boils down basically to this. So, yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about what is a good PM. Uh, Is a good PM should should a good PM be product agnostic? Does it even matter if you're managing a software product or a hardware product? We'll talk a little bit about the actual differences between managing those two types of products and we'll connect the dots with talking about how what's the ideal kind of blend of personality and skills for the for the job and how to excel in whatever job you get you know what even before we dive into that um, how many people here work for a software company not necessarily as a software product manager but Software company. Cool and pro and, and hardware. All right, a healthy split. As usual, software is kind of the uh, the dominating part, and hardware is slightly kind of mysterious. So, I hope this will be really useful for for people to learn more about the hardware domain. Okay, so um, should a good product manager be product agnostic? I actually skimmed uh, a bunch of LinkedIn jobs jobs on LinkedIn to see both hardware and software postings, and I found two interesting things. First, they didn't differ too much. The requirements for hardware and for software product managers' roles didn't differ too much. And on the other hand, those requirements didn't feel very relevant for me. They felt absolutely... Meaningless. So many of them, almost most of them, talked about technical acumen, right? Basically, software or computer science background uh, or, or like engineering background or experience with coding. I would claim that engineering background is probably the worst background for a product manager to have, right? From my own experience, it always, especially initially, pushed me to talk, when I was thinking about a product or about a feature, I was thinking more about what's the easiest way to do it, right? rather than what the user actually needs. Or I would engage in a bunch of conversations around what's the best way to do it, like how to do it, instead of talking about what to do and why to do it. Another thing that I noticed, uh, experience with agile development i think that you know agile is a very uh is a buzz term nowadays and basically it means planning every more or less other, other, every other week for for the next week two weeks who here have ever planned you know like you know put a task or or scheduled an event on his calendar for this week or for the for, for the next one all right so you are a certified scrum manager and you know, this is that, that simple, that's, that's what you do. You basically schedule a meeting every other week and you plan for the next two weeks. Data-driven mindset, another irrelevant requirement. Everything is data-driven, all, whoops, all of your decisions would be data-driven, even if those decisions based on emotions, you know, emotions is also some kind of data that you make your decision based on. Totally irrelevant. A-B testing experience, all right, so Um, That is not something that we do every day, but I would claim it's also pretty relevant because basically what it means, you take a green button, you take a blue button, you compare the number of clicks between the two, and yeah, the green button gets more clicks. You go with that. That's about it. It's a little bit more complicated. There is a bunch of trade-offs involved usually, right? So the green button might get more clicks, but the blue button, for some weird reason, might get longer sessions, right? and, and by the way, the green button clicks would come from 20 to 30 years old people in Minnesota. Okay, so, but that kind of drilling down and segmenting, you would be doing it so much in your job that it basically is irrelevant whether or not you did, a few time, you, you did that a few times before. Right? One week into your job, you'll be doing it like, like, like a master. Planning and story prioritization, something that also comes up almost in all those job postings. Have you guys ever planned anything or prioritized anything? Great, you're planner masters. So I would claim this is all relevant. Um, so what, what is relevant for, for a good PM? Creativity and open mind. You need to be creative to come up with new ideas for, for new products, for new features for, of your product. And you have to have an open mind because tons of ideas would come to you from different stakeholders, from QA people, from engineering, from marketing, from sales, from your girlfriend, from your from your kids. You will need to absorb those, see the value in the idea, shape the idea, right? Those ideas would often come in a raw format, very unshaped. You will need to identify, structurize them, and, and fight for them. You know, see the value and convince other people in that value. So that's by the ability to influence others. You'll need to be selling your product and your ideas, your features, to all those stakeholders, starting from your boss, to the engineering boss, to marketing. You will be trying to convince others all the time. And finally, when you got the approvals from all those stakeholders, you need to actually execute. Okay, So drive and bias for action is is very necessary. It sounds a little bit trivial. Well, you know, after you put your product in development, basically it should be hands off. That is not the case usually because the people who would work on, on that product, on that feature, can also work or would also work on other products and features. And you would need to constantly maintain relationships with those people, constantly motivate this, those people, and, you know, navigate the internal politics to push your product forward. Uh, now, all of those still seem kind of um, universal for hardware and software. So what's the catch? I say it's not just the skills, right? It's going back to that diagram of the brains. It's A lot of it is excitement. It's how much you can excite yourself by like, reading articles about your product. That excitement translates in motivation that, gets you to actually educate yourself. Wake up in the morning, scroll your newsfeed, and find the articles that talk about your industry, that talk about your product, that talk about the competitors of your product. So if you can read through an article about a particular product, it's probably a better fit than, than if you can't. So that ability to educate yourself would drive performance. And the ability, you know, the, the fact that you ship something that you actually perform would kind of reignite this circle of life. It would excite you, motivate you, and so on. And we'll get back to that a little later. All right, so let's dive into the differences between the actual hardware and software work. Uh, before that, a little bit of definitions. So software, I think most people are kind of familiar. Everybody uses emails, plays games, have uh, social networks, and so on. Hardware is kind of more out of the, out of the radar. So uh, I put here a little diagram of our realistic material world. So we have some residential areas with like some houses. We have some factories, uh, maybe power plants, some businesses, some administrative areas like schools and hospitals. And we have the infrastructure that connects all of them. Um, So breaking that down, we have components, right? Everything uh, consists of components like CPUs, chips, DSP, uh, circuit boards, motherboards, screens and LCDs. Then we have the actual AND products. And so I I would be talking more about B2B, but the same concepts basically apply to B2C. Uh, Cisco is mainly B2B, but it doesn't really matter. So what kind of product, the end products, can we talk about? Consumer electronics, right? laptops, phones, factory robots, manufacturing robots, medical devices, that kind of stuff. And finally, things that connect all of it. Infrastructure, routers, switches, security devices, telephony, storage. Right? That is kind of filling the void and connects everything. Okay, so um, what are the actual differences? So one very striking difference is the length of the life cycle of a product. Hardware products, three to five years life cycle, meaning there's a good few years between this and that box. They change very slowly. Um, Rather than software, that would be changing basically every week, every other week, or in some companies with continuous deployment, they do it every day. So basically they release features every day. Things move much faster. What does it mean from from the uh, responsibilities standpoint, from a PM responsibilities? Most of your work in hardware would, unlike software, not focused around coming up with new features, but rather Five things, five main things. Documenting your stuff. Blueprints, white prints, internal wikis, marketing documents. Uh, and marketing is also you know, identifying the right marketing channels, uh, the right uh, targeting audience, uh, PR materials. Manufacturing. Manufacturing is a huge part of it. You will need to, to to work with lots of vendors, right? There is a bunch of components involved, like memory chips and all that. You'll need to maintain the relationships with all those vendors. Um, purchase, you know, bookings for the for the stuff. It's to, uh, you know, especially with B two B environment when those companies, for example, Cisco, almost never works directly with consumers. They work through third party sellers. So you would need to maintain relationships with those, manage those, to make sure that. The pricing and the description of the product is correctly updated in their catalogs. Lots of work around that. Installation, maintenance, and usage. You will have a lot of training sessions. You would train people. You will train sellers. You would train um, experts, technical experts. Granted, in the beginning, technical experts would be training you, but at some point, you will take the lead. You will be training the the actual customers, lots and lots of outbound work. A-B testing. Um, There is no A-B testing for hardware. Almost no A-B testing. There is obviously some research done in the beginning of a a life cycle, uh, but that's basically comparing one box versus the other. It's nothing compared to what's going on in the software world, where every pixel is being A-B tested. Right, Literally in every one of my software-related PRDs, the first line is, this is going to be an A-B test. Heavy vendor management. As I mentioned before, there is a lot of outbound work involved with hardware, not so much with software. Not to say that in software you won't be uh, uh, talking to outside vendors and third parties. Some positions involve even more of that, but on average, Hardware, by definition, because it has those many components, would just involve much more outbound work. Financial responsibilities. That's a pretty cool feature of a hardware PM role. You'll be working a lot with finance, building financial models for to forecast the demand for your product, to forecast the manufacturing facilities. You'll be working a lot with manufacturing managers, with operations managers, with... Uh, Supply change managers, so building those models is pretty cool with software, not so much finance you'll be doing a lot of hand waving and estimations, but you know you, you could say this feature would bring us five million bucks a year, might as well bring twenty dollars a year. Nobody would ever know All right, so let 's dive into a specific example. Um, when I came to Cisco, at some point, I was assigned to manage a telephony gateway that was responsible for connecting um, touch-tone phones, so basically legacy phones, not the fancy voice-over AP phones. So it was supposed to kind of go away at some point uh, in the not-so-distant future, but it still brought kind of a healthy revenue for Cisco. I started to dive a little bit into the um, sales reports of the of the product and suddenly I realized that while the revenue's kind of maintained the same over the years the costs went up significantly and so the profitability of the product went down in the last couple of years drilling down more I am talking to the to the sellers I realized that Uh, there was a big change in the hospitality industry in China. So apparently there was a law that required um, hotels to have a telephone in every hotel room, which basically boosted the sales of this product because they needed the boxes to connect all those legacy phones. Um, On the other hand, apparently the healthcare sector in the U.S. Ah, so... Uh, that, that requirement was recently lifted. And so the sales in China actually went down. On the other hand, in, uh, in the US, we saw a boost in sales because apparently in the healthcare sector, they started practicing putting phones, putting kind of disposable phones in some of the departments to prevent cross contamination. And obviously, because the analog phones are much cheaper, that's what they went for. The, the analog phone would cost like five bucks versus the voice over IP fancy phone would, call, would cost something like 50 bucks. So the combination of the two uh, drove the, the, the fact that because the manufacturing facility was located in Shenzhen, China, most of the sales happened in the US, that shipping ate into the margins of profits. So basically what we needed to do was to move manufacturing away from Shenzhen over to the Texas facilities of Cisco and start manufacturing it in Texas. It was a huge project, like multiple years uh, to to get back to profitability, but basically once that was done, the product became a cash cow again. Um, So we did lots of forecasting, documentation, pitched it, drove the product. It was pretty cool.
0: If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.comslash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST PODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city.
1: Then I came to Zusk. Zusk is a um, dating app. It's somewhere between like eHarmony and Mesh.com and Tinder. Um, Now, I always wanted to try software. I didn't attend any product school events back then. I just learned that product school exists only for four years. That happened right before that. Uh, And so I needed to experience it myself. So I switched to Zusk, and my first assignment was to work on Roundification. Back then, all the giants, Facebook, Google, um, transitioned to this interesting trend when they took square pictures of the users and made them round. Um, So my job was to identify all the places where the the users appeared with square pictures. Uh, The PRD was like, take the square picture, make it round, uh, preserving the aspect ratio. Um, Ran an A-B test, so a bit of an increase in app usage. And that's about it. Rolled it on iOS, on Android, on web. Done. Um, now, I kind of over, oversimplified the things a little bit, but uh, we, we actually did a bunch of pretty complicated projects. We worked on fraud prevention. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to work on the actual matching algorithm. I worked on uh, advertisement insertion, but frankly, uh, Sometime after I quit Cisco, I had this feeling of being underwhelmed by the significance and importance <coughs> of the of the things I worked on. Right, so <coughs> going from from moving manufacturing between continents, I was moving from squares to circles. Um, but again, it's super subjective. Obviously, there is a lot of important work in software. Take all the medical uh, software uh, and Let's let's talk about a different example in, at Pandora. Uh, so currently, I'm working on uh, algorithms for content insertion. So Pandora is, uh, as you might know, a, a musical app. It's a personalized radio, right? It uh, it is playing music that is tailored to your specific interests. So. It doesn't have only music. It has a bunch of other pieces of content, for example, comedy, podcasts, artist messages, uh, audio commercials, and we need to identify how to best balance the the music versus the other pieces of content. So some things we do is trying to answer those questions, like when is the best moment to interrupt you? Some people choose those apps to just listen to their music. Some people want to be informed about about other stuff, so maybe they do want to be interrupted. And uh, you know maybe when they skip a song a bunch of times, that would not be the ideal place to, to play a, a commercial. But uh, maybe some other content would be best. So what is the optimal content to insert? How long should the interruption be? Maybe some people would love to to listen to a 30-minute podcast, while some others just want to listen to their music all the time. Um, how frequent the interruptions should be? how many different types of content we want to mix in one session, and so on. So pretty interesting uh, problems in machine learnings, uh, in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, pretty cool stuff that we do there. And going back to, for example, managing different stakeholders, it is pretty complicated. So in terms of internal stakeholders, so let's just look at ads, right, at commercials. So in terms of internal stakeholders, we have, uh, to work with sales team, financials team, strategy team, uh, to understand how how many ads can we push in. Uh, internal state, uh, internal um, tools for ads booking, trafficking, uh, mediation between the different types of ads. So that would involve a lot of work with other PMs that are responsible for all those tools. On the external side, we work with some Google tools and Facebook tools for ad insertion. Uh, so we need to talk with those guys a lot. We work with hardware vendors. Pandora is on Roku, Sonos, Chromecast, Google, Home, Amazon Echo, whatnot. So lots of vendors that you also need to kind of manage relationships with. And you need to work with advertisers themselves. So that's kind of an example to say that it's not all as oversimplified as here. But more often than not, it would involve less outbound work than, than hardware. All right, so after we saw a few of those examples, I think we can talk about the the interesting piece, how to get the job. Yes? In the last
2: previous
1: slide, uh, you had the med- mediation. What's, what's that Ads mediation? Uh, yeah, so the question is, what is ads mediation? Basically, a, a mechanism to choose one ad over the other or one type of the ad over the other based on a bunch of parameters maybe. So
2: it's more organizational specific to what you have that. Like, Because you have that as a separate uh, category there under the internal
1: background. It might be like a separate domain by itself for ads. Okay. Like we we can talk on a on different maybe session. You know, the whole session about ads you know, and Yeah, it's just, just another thing to, to keep in mind and manage. And sometimes there would be a designated PM to manage just that. OK, so um, how do we get the job? So remember that slide? Um, let's try to focus on the, on the hardware piece. Right, so long product, product life, life cycle, no option for A-B testing, heavy vendor management, financial responsibilities. All that leads me to believe that if you have no coding background, no A-B testing experience, but you somehow manage third parties and external vendors, and have some experience with inventory forecasting or financials, then hardware might be an easier match for you, at least, you know, to get the interview. Um, And if that actually excited you, then it might as well be your product of choice. On the other hand, if you just can't stop thinking about how to optimize that app that you use every time, right? You open your Facebook Messenger and you think, "Oh, how did they put this video ad there?" Right? Or, or if you mostly work with engineering or QA, uh, or if you ever ran an experiment or played with Google Analytics, software might be a better, slightly better match for you. Not to say that you can't work on hardware and vice versa, right? But Again, in terms of getting an interview, that might be an easier path. All right, how to excel in your job. So again, we talked about those, but those are kind of universal. And again, it all comes down to whether or not you can educate yourself about your domain, about your product. Can you read that article through to the end about that hardware box and not fall asleep? If so, then... Hardware might be a good match. Same for software. Uh, All right. Yeah, I think one of the questions that I got a lot was, was it easy to switch? So I put this little diagram here. So from once you're a PM, right, a software PM or a hardware PM, switching within that domain is pretty easy. Switching from hardware to software or vice versa, kind of medium, not as easy. Not super hard. Uh, the good news is it's probably easier than switching from not being a PM to a PM. And deliberately, I put, didn't put hard here. Just a little harder um, than, than this. And that's about it. So all, obviously, having some, some experience and some background with PM with work would help in an interview. And another thing that would help is this, Decode and Conquer. This book um, is responsible for, I think responsible for me getting the first uh, Software PM interview. Fantastic book, I'm not affiliated with the author, besides the fact that we both graduated the same school, Um, but a really practical, down-to-earth book with examples for how to pass an interview and how to do your PM job really well. That is it. Questions? <laughs> yes?
2: Um, how much do you feel that what you did interviewing correlates to your day to
1: day? How much my interview was related yeah, like, to what I'm actually doing? Yeah, yeah. The book is a kind of a good blend of both the skills you need for the interview and for the actual job. Um, It's a totally different story of what they ask you in the interview and what you will be doing in your job. Those are basically unrelated, more or less the same as the responsibilities from LinkedIn jobs. Two different things. The book would help you in both. Yeah, somebody had a question over there. In the software, in the PM, kind of in LinkedIn, a lot of uh,
2: advertisements regarding like a UX and UI designers need to work with them. I didn't see you mention that at all over here.
1: Again, in in the software? PM part of it. Yeah, you, you, would, you would work a lot with UX. On, uh, with UX and UI a lot. Sure. Because
2: you're working with the software, piece
1: of software Right, right. Yep, that's, that definitely adds to the number of stakeholders that you work with. Still doesn't compare with the number of stakeholders in the hardware world. Right. You so would you still have, work with UX. Do you need to have a computer research background
2: to get into the
1: software product? Model. Definitely helps. Yeah, so going back to, to my claim that engineering background is probably the worst one to have, I saw people from user experience, user research, marketing, accounting leading much more user-centric conversations, much, much better conversations uh, than, than PMs that come with the, with the uh, technical background. Conversations that were more focused on the revenue piece of the ROI formula rather than the, on the investment piece, right? Investment should basically be driven by engineering, not, not so much by the product manager. Yeah, you had a question? So uh,
2: based on your
1: Wait, 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 let's go for the challenges first, because I need to list three. The challenges list three things every time. Um, so the challenges for software or for the hardware? Wait, three for each?
2: Yeah. Oh. I found OK, a challenge, but it was <laughs> helpful for you the
1: Right, right. Um, yeah, you know, going back, going back to, uh, to this, I think those three would be your main challenges. Those are the, the features that you would want to have and you would be challenged on each one of those every day. You need to be able to come up with new ideas, not just ideas about the product, but about the overall roadmap and how to break that ro- roadmap down to milestones, you know, yeah. have the vision. It, Right, right. Uh, it's, then you have the roadmaps, which
2: is again, a bigger sort of If it's not, it, it doesn't
1: make sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of easy to fall back uh, to, to this mode of, oh, this is the product that I need to manage. I need to talk to this guy and to this guy and to, to get it executed there and, and to get some development resources. Uh, it, it's harder to step back or to take the time to step back and to think holistically about the roadmap and the vision, and what you want to do with this product five years, ten years forward. Uh, Ability to influence influence others. That's some people just have it naturally, and some people just need to develop it. And it's definitely possible to develop. And that is a challenge. That that sometimes is just hard. Drive and bias for action, you know, you would sit on a meeting and you would say, Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll chat to that QE manager tomorrow and uh, we will figure it out. But then when you leave that meeting, you actually need to go and chat to that person. Uh, and it's sometimes, like, although it might sound trivial, sometimes not, not, that, not that easy. Those challenges exist in, in every position hardware, software, PM. Um, let, let's let somebody else ask something and then we go back to you. Yeah? Right,
2: can you talk a little bit about
1: the differences in interview questions or what the, what the,
2: what the structures are? In differences
1: stuff? in interview questions? Yeah, I what, I like yeah, yeah, I remember for, for a Cisco interview, it was kind of a case, like, like a consulting case, when we went through a new product introduction. Uh, and basically, it required you to have a good framework for, for that particular um, that particular question or or, domain of new product introductions. Uh, We talked through that. It wasn't hugely analytical, but it definitely didn't talk about how you manage vendors or anything like that. That that you would learn in the job. Basically, it was mostly, uh, from what I also heard from my friends, it would usually be some kind of a case that would allow you to showcase your your ability to, to you know think st- in a structured manner and take into account different stakeholders. For software, it was from again from my personal experience more analytical, uh, more more talking about like w- smaller details. How did you run that A/B test? How would you run an A/B test? Um, how would you segment the users if you get uh, if you have a bug? How would you go about identifying where the bug is? That kind of stuff. Yes?
2: I you were talking about how hardware life cycles are much longer and so it's a little bit more difficult to iterate and so forth. But I'm a little curious about the developmental framework for say software versus hardware, where I mean typically we think of hardware as waterfall. but would you say that perhaps in your own personal experience is something that there was an effort to introduce A- agile methodology into hardware development, so that you can. Well, I suppose it could be done different ways, and uh, I'd love to hear more from you. But just as an example, maybe developing uh, certain assets that could be leveraged, uh, you know, the platforms and things like that that can be used. So that, say, for instance, that box that you are working on, uh, you know, whether there were some boards that could be used. Sure, sure, sure. Or
1: yeah, got it. Um, yeah. So the question is, how does agile integrate with hardware world? Right, and uh, how does that compare to the kind of more uh, traditional waterfall model? Um, Surprisingly, we did work with Agile at Cisco, and I found it to be ridiculous. Because the hardware product is there, and you put a bunch of chips there, and you ship it. And if there is a problem, you recall the product, you fix it, and you ship back you can't really iterate in weekly releases of the product. right? So they did try to work in Agile simply in terms of planning ahead, planning their software hardware work ahead, but the actual released product was released after the whole cycle was done, and the next version of it was a natural waterfall interaction. So they tried to be Agile, maybe to kind of Stay trendy and attract talent by putting agile development experience in their job postings. Um, that's, that's what I can say about that. Cause it would, you know, until we find a way how to change hardware remotely in weekly cycles, it won't be agile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good should a PM be with machine learning and artificial intelligence and all those buzzwords uh, in his work? I think it's not 100% necessary to be like super professional with those. I do find it useful to to understand the terminology. I actually took this cool online course on uh, Coursera uh, called Machine Learning. I think. Um, which actually gives you some opportunity to actually code a little bit, but you don't really have to. Uh, You can find a bunch of homeworks on the internet if you just need to submit that. Uh, But it does educate you a lot about those terms. And nowadays, when I interview scientists for our group, I can actually pretend like I understand what they're saying.
0: Thanks for listening to The Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.